0: Please do take your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We are in Colossians chapter 4. We're picking up in verse 2. This is a section that, at least in my Bible, is labored, labeled further instructions. And we could almost think it was an add-on or an addendum to more important teaching, but it's not. It is just as important to us as seeking to be holy in our marriage, in our work, and in our family. And so as we read today, we will look at Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Actually, I'm sorry, we're going to back up to, like we've done the last few times, we're going to back up to verse 5 of chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, Jesus giving thanks to God, the father through him. And then down to verse two of chapter four, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us also that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let us pray. Our God and father above, we do thank you for this opportunity to look at your word as we approach your word, as we approach the sermon, I ask along with Paul here that you open doors for our message, for your message, open our hearts and minds so that we are receptive to it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, drive the message of who we are in Jesus and how we are to live in light of that reality. Drive it deep into our hearts. Help me to proclaim clearly the mystery of salvation. Help me to proclaim clearly the gospel message that you have revealed for us in the life of Jesus and in your word. And let our conversations today, let our walk be pleasing, let them be gracious, let them be wise, and let them be salt for this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wrap up Paul's uh, commands, his instructions to the Colossian Christians today, next week we'll move into the conclusion of the book, his thanksgivings, his prayers, his greetings to the people, and then of course his signing off on the book, but today as we look at these last instructions I think it's important for us to be reminded once again what is the foundation for these instructions. Our world follows uh, many times unconsciously the philosophy of existentialism. Now I warned the Sunday School class that I was going to talk about that big philosophical word. and. I realize about half of you fell asleep about three quarters through the word philosophy, but bear with me for just a few moments here. Existentialism is defined by the phrase or the mantra that existence precedes essence. In other words, what we feel or experience or think in our world determines who we are. Did you have a bad parent? Did you have an abusive Uh, uh, relationship with your parents, well, then you may be shaped by that to the point where you are now identified as an abused child. We are shaped by the experiences we have, but we are not identified by the experiences, the thoughts, the desires, the things that we go through. Scriptures present us as essence or nature preceding existence. How are we described in Genesis chapter 1? Let us create man and woman in our image. The Godhead created humanity in the image of God. We are, we are beings. We are humans who reflect the glory and proclaim to the rest of creation that there is a God After the fall, we are identified in nature by either being in Adam or slaves to sin, as Paul says later, or in Christ, adopted children of God. It is our identity that determines what we do, that identity that we are given in Christ, Paul says earlier, makes us holy, makes us chosen, makes us beloved. We are not holy and chosen and beloved because of what we do or think or feel. We pursue holiness because we are holy through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to remember that as Paul calls us to a life, the prayer life of a saint and the walk of a saint, that we already are saints before God. So the first thing I want us to look at is the prayer life of the Saint Paul opens up with this call devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. Pray for us also that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Warren Wearsby says that prayer is not telling God what to do or what to give prayer is asking God for that which he wants to do and to give according to his will. Prayer is going before the father with our concerns, with our wants, with our desires that are shaped by his glory, that are shaped by what he wants us to be in the book of Romans. Paul describes our relationship with God as no longer being slaves to sin and slaves to fear. But being adopted as sons. Think of a father, a good father figure that you may have run into in your life when things are going great. Do you not want to run to your father and say, man, this is what is going on in my life. And it is wonderful when things are going poorly in your life. Would you not like to have a father that you could run to and say, oh, you wouldn't believe what I'm going through. And I I desperately need help to get through this. That is what we have in God, and that is why we are called to pray through the work of Jesus Christ. We are united to Jesus, the only natural son of God, and we are made adopted sons, and our father wants us to rush to him when things are good. Our father wants us to rush to him when things are bad, and we call that prayer. It's our ability to enter the face of the father, to enter the presence of the father without fear of judgment, without fear of rejection and say, good father, rejoice with me or mourn with me as I either rejoice or as I mourn and shape me to want your will in all of my life. And then Paul gives us four characteristics of prayer here in this Prayer life of the saint. The first is he calls us to devoted prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devoted prayer is persistent prayer. It is diligent prayer. It is continual prayer and attentive prayer. Now, this is not merely a decision to pray whenever we think about it. We're Driving down the street and, and we see a billboard that says something about God. And we're like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to pray. And so we fire off a quick prayer. No, this is being devoted to prayer is a commitment to a lifelong attitude of prayer. We looked at the book of Nehemiah earlier in the book of Nehemiah. He receives a report that the city walls have been broken down the city walls of Jerusalem. And then he goes into the the presence of the king. And we love this part. The king says, what's wrong? And how would you like me to fix it? And then we're told Nehemiah fires off a quick prayer, Lord help me, before he talks to the king. And the king answers him. We like that part. But that part would not have worked for Nehemiah were it not for chapter 1, where he says that he fasted and prayed for a period of time before he entered the king's presence and before he gave off that quick prayer. Those quick prayers are important But they will not be near as effective if we are not devoted to continual, diligent, persistent, and attentive prayer. Secondly, Paul calls the Colossians to watchful prayer. What did we read in Nehemiah four today when they were attacked, when they were under the threat of attack of building while they were building the walls, they prayed and posted guards. They were watchful as they prayed. Jesus is in the the garden on the night he was betrayed. He is with the disciples. And as he goes apart by himself to pray, he tells them, watch and pray, lest the enemy attack. We need to be watchful for two things in our prayers. First is distractions. How many of your prayer life, how many of you in the mornings as you're sitting there in your area to pray? Go, dear God, you're a wonderful God. You're a great God. You are holy. You are perfect. You are righteous. Man, I've got to get by a Walmart today in order to make sure I pick up a pair of socks. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're holy. You're righteous. We must be watchful for those distractions. I know one thing that helps me is is to to take out a notebook and to actually write out what I'm wanting to pray to God. It keeps me focused on what I'm saying. It keeps me focused on what I'm thinking. But the second thing is that we need to be watchful in our prayer life for false teachings or false ideas. We oftentimes think of prayer as a mantra that we say, something that we say, if we get the formula right, God will give us whatever we want. We need to be watchful against teachings like that. Paul calls the Colossians here to watchful prayer in the midst of confronting false teaching that has worked its way into the church. So we need to be devoted. We need to be watchful. He tells them to be grateful in their prayers. This is not the first time that Paul has called the Colossians to thankfulness. He calls them to thank God for for the other members of their body. He calls them to be grateful for what Jesus has done for them. We are to be thankful for to God for our salvation. That should be the first thing we thank God for every moment we think, what could I thank God for? God, thank you that I am not no longer consigned to the judgment of hell. Thank you for sending your son to save me. Thank you for giving me the Bible that reveals to me your perfect glory, your perfect hope of salvation. Thank you for this church, this body of brothers and sisters who is tasked with caring for me and with whom I am tasked for caring. Thank you for all that you have given. Our prayer is to be thankful and full of gratefulness. And fourthly, Paul calls the Colossians to be gospel focused in their prayers. He, he asked the Colossians to pray for us. Colossians is a prison epistle. Any reason why any any ideas as to why it might be called a prison epistle? Because that's where Paul was when he wrote it. Paul was in prison when he wrote this particular letter to the Colossian church. What would you expect Paul to pray for in this moment? Freedom from from prison, would you not? What does he actually pray for here? He says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Now, that may be the door of the prison that that Paul wants God to open. But more than likely, it's an opportunity for him to share the gospel and his companions with him, to share the gospel to the guards. Paul was chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Paul may be praying here for an opportunity for that guard to be curious enough about what Paul's in prison for, for him to be able to give, to share the gospel. He says, pray for a gospel opportunity. Pray for the doors to be opened for our message. Now, I realize I may be speaking to the choir here, preaching to the choir here for just a for just a second. But how many of you that have people in your life that you desire to see come to Christ? How many of you actually pray for them to do that? How many of you actually pray that God would give you an opportunity to proclaim and that the door would be open in their life to hear the gospel from you? He says, open doors for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery which he has referenced earlier in the book is the fact that God has reached down into dead sinners lives and made them alive. He has taken people regardless of their economic status, regardless of their ethnic status, regardless of their religious status, and he has made them alive in Christ. He says, pray that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. People ask me from time to time, what is the most important thing I can do to help you, to help me in my ministry? The most important thing you can do to help me in my ministry is to pray. Is to approach God's throne and ask Him to give me the courage to proclaim to you the message that you need to hear. To give me the wisdom to proclaim it clearly and to give me the strength to stay focused in my studies and to be watchful as I move forward. The most glorious fight of the Christian, according to to the church father, Caesarius of Arles. The most glorious fight of the Christian is not to presume upon his own strength, but to implore the assistance of God. The most important thing we can do for church growth, the most important thing we can do for the growth of the kingdom of God in this world is to seek and to go about prayer that is devoted, that is watchful, that is grateful, and that is gospel focused. After this, Paul talks to the saints, to the ones who have been called holy through the work of Jesus, and he tells them to focus on their own life. He tells them to focus on two areas of their walk as a saint. Why do I say walk? Well, that's the that's the verb that is translated act toward outsiders. Paul basically says walk in wisdom before outsiders. And he talks about our walk, our actions, our behavior. And he also talks about our speech toward outsiders. First, our outward behavior for those that are outside the church. Many of them that know you are Christians are watching. And Paul says, be wise before them. Wisdom in the scriptures is not just knowledge. It's not just truth. It is truth in action. We pray to God to give us knowledge. So we read the scriptures to find out facts about God. We pray to God to give us understanding. So we begin to study the scriptures so we can understand how to apply those facts to our life today. But we're not wise in the things of God until we put them into action. Paul tells the Colossians to walk in a way that is wise before outsiders. And outsiders is anybody who does not believe. Paul gives us these rules for Christian households as it says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. People are watching how you act in your marriage to see if God Is changing you. Children obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers do not embitter your children. Or they will become discouraged. Outsiders are watching how you act. And react with your parents. And with your children. To see if this union with Christ. Is something that is really changing you. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it. Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair. The outside world is watching to see how you carry out your employment, how you carry out your job, to see if this change that you proclaim is in your heart is something worthwhile. Ken Sandy, who was the founder of Peacemaker Ministries, tells about his father. Ken received Christ when he was in law school. So somewhere around the age of 22 and 25. And the first thing he did was he went home to his dad and he says, Dad, I met Jesus and I want you to meet him too. And as the saying goes, a prophet has no respect in his hometown because Ken's dad knew him. Ken's dad knew the person that Ken had been for the last 25 years. And for the next 50 years, Ken said, all I did was seek to walk wisely before my father so that he would see the change that the gospel has wrought in my life. And as he neared the end of his life, his father finally said, I have seen the change, I have seen the power of the gospel, and I want that for me too. The world is watching us, folks. And they want to see us. They want to see us change. They want to see if we are devoted to this thing that we call Christianity, that we're devoted to the pursuit of happiness that we proclaim that everybody else must follow. We're called to walk wisely before outsiders. We're also called to be gracious and worthwhile in our conversation. This speech filled with grace that he calls us to. Let your conversations always be full of grace. It, it's, it's not always speaking the gospel, but it's being gracious in how we interact with one another. We have a discourse problem in our culture. We we don't talk to each other anymore. We stand our ground. We draw our lines in the sand, and we condemn anybody who will not stand on our side of the line. Paul says, no, be gracious in how you deal with one another. Is there somebody that you disagree with politically, economically, theologically? How do you address them with your words, whether spoken or typed? Is your speech gracious? Do you have friends that disagree with you on a certain Item or a certain thought that they know they can come to you and say, hey, I disagree with you, but I want to understand you better. And they know that you will be gracious and respectful to them. And then, of course, our speech should be seasoned with salt and 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 a speech seasoned with salt, a speech that is not idle. Our speech should lead to encouragement. It should lead to uplifting people it should not only focus on being gracious it should also be focused on edifying those who listen to it my dad used to say every now and then he said everybody lights up a room some people light it up when they walk in some people light it up when they walk out <laughs> are we ed- are people excited to see us or are they excited to see us leave our speech needs to be gracious now, there are three reasons uh, to remember as we consider being wise in our behavior and consider being wise in our speech. Number one, we are wise in our behavior and gracious in our speech because it is a it is a confirmation for us that God is at work. Our nature is as holy people. We are holy before God. We are declared holy before God In our relationship to Jesus in being united to Christ, we are holy. But Paul says in the power of the spirit to work that out. And so wise behavior, gracious speech is proof to us that the spirit is working on us. To make us holy as we are holy. I'm going to butcher this quote, but it goes along the lines of I am not where I should be, but by the grace of God, I am not where I am or where I was. You know, we're not going to reach perfect holiness on this side of heaven. But hopefully you can look back on your life and see where I walk more wisely today than I did six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I look back on my life sometimes and I say, thank God I'm still alive because of all the stupid stuff I did I shouldn't be. But God has... Has worked to bring me to where I am today. And, and believe me, the goal is way further that way than I can see. But I know I'm closer. Walking wisely is proof for ourselves that we are holy. The number two reason that we are holy is one that I've already mentioned. The world's watching. We, we often talk about how great it will be to meet the people in heaven whom we had no idea that we affected their life for good. But think about how horrible it would be to meet those people who watched us fail and be fools in our walk before God and hear them say, I rejected the gospel because of Ike. The world's watching. The world wants to see that this is real. Walk wisely before outsiders. And thirdly, is even worse. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If we call ourselves Christians and we refuse to walk wisely before outsiders, we're blaspheming. See, we take the picture, this existential picture that the world has given to us that existence follow, or precedes essence. And we say, you know what? Yeah, I've been confronted with my anger, but you know, you don't know the way I was raised and that's just the way I am. I'm not changing. If God confronts you with a sin in your life and your response is, so what? That's who I am. I'm not changing. You're spitting. On the work that he has done for you at best. It is blasphemy for us to claim to be Christians, to bear the weight of holiness upon us and say, I don't care about my sin. I'm not changing. We are called to the prayer life of a saint. We are called to the wise walk of a saint. Are you a Christian? Are you one that claims that these titles that Paul gives us, beloved, chosen and holy, adopted sons of God, no longer slaves to sin and to fear? Do you take those names upon you? If not, please talk to me afterwards and let's not wait any longer. God has this wonderful message of forgiveness that he offers to all sinners. But if you are, you must ask yourselves these questions. Are you working out your holiness by being devoted to prayer? Is your prayer life devoted, watchful, thankful, and focused on the work of Jesus, the mystery of Christ? And secondly, are you working out your holiness by walking and speaking wisely before a watching world? Let us pray. Our God and Father, may we not be found blasphemous. May we be found wise before you through the work of Jesus, through that that great work that is more, as Peter says, more than gold or silver. That price that has been paid for us, we bear on our shoulders the title of holy, the title of chosen, the title of beloved. And in that, we bear the name of Jesus when we are called Christian. Help us to walk wisely before a watching world. Help us to walk wisely before you. And lead us to a prayer life that is devoted to you and to your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.